You're listening to Fresh Ideas for Teaching. Hi, everyone. It's Walter. The Fresh Ideas for Teaching podcast is presented by Savvis Learning Company. Welcome back to our special Science of Reading in Action podcast series featuring master teacher and guest host Shadi Tayarani, who's taking over the podcast for some special teacher voices on the Science of Reading episodes. Without further ado, here's Shadi to kick things off. Hi, everyone. Today, we're going to be exploring the connection between reading and writing and the heap of data that suggests that spelling instruction facilitates reading acquisition. Before we dive in, I do want to take a few moments to introduce this amazing um, set of guests that we have joining us today. We have Lisa Calvert joining us. Hi, Lisa. Good morning. Lisa is a literacy strategist. She's a national board certified teacher in literacy. And if I'm not mistaken, she is in Nevada. Correct. I I wanted to make sure I had that right. Um, And we've got Sydney Gunland here with us also. She is a literacy content specialist who serves teachers, schools, and districts. And she's a former first grade teacher. Hey, Sydney. Hi. She's in California. <laughs> yeah, California. It's always fun to know where everyone's coming from. And we've got Heather Wheeler here. She's been teaching for 12 years in the K-3 space. She's currently a second grade teacher in Bluffdale, Utah. And she's the literacy lead at her school. So no shortage of expertise here among these friends. It's great to see you guys. So I want to start by getting a little (laughs) science-y. We know that children's brains are hardwired for speech. We know that language capacity in humans evolved um, about 100,000 years ago. So the human brain is fully adapted for language processing. And any child, barring a neurological impairment um, or hearing impairment, will learn to talk. So let's talk about how that known fact influences reading instruction. Sydney, I see you nodding. Well, I love pointing out that our brains were not wired for reading. Um, where it's, we innately learn how to speak and to walk and, um, reading on the other hand is not innate. So, um, while those processes can develop, it's the instruction, those neural pathways have to be built for instruction, which makes the use of speech, um, and what children have already naturally developed a great, the best starting point, um, for reading instruction. I agree with that. Um, I also think it's really important to um, acknowledge that the speech that they are coming to us with um, based on their upbringing or um, the exposure that they may have had to literature being read to them uh, definitely impacts how they will um, learn to read as well. I think that is really true. I um, have a daughter with a speech impediment and it would come through in her spelling. Like the way she interpreted language came through from, from her 
vantage point of her speech impediment, which was so interesting. When we talk about the progression of reading, um, phonology is always the foundation. So that's the sound level. So taking their knowledge of sounds and then building upon that with sound symbol correspondence is a great way um, to kind of fill that that bucket of the the um, word reading and word recognition bucket of a simple view of reading. Um, it makes the most sense to use sound first. So when it comes to instruction, uh, starting with phonemic awareness and sounds is um, highly appropriate for students before we add symbols to it. I think the science of reading has been so good in helping us understand that. I know for myself, prior, you know, I would teach word families and I would teach the alphabet. And I didn't know that it was better to start with just sounds, just segmenting and blending at the sound level before I ever started that instruction. I think that lays a really great foundation for um them to then progress, as Sydney said, to to the words. And then we build from words to our sentences and and passages. And I know that's simplified, but we really do have to start with those key foundational skills. Um, So once we get those sounds and we can segment and blend those sounds, the dictation part of connecting um, the, the, the sounds and the symbol you know, that is so important. And I feel when it comes to um, phonics instruction, um, I love the use of phonemic awareness first and just isolating those sounds that they're, that we're about to introduce with the symbol, right? So getting them very familiar with this sound and then connecting it to the symbol. And that's where, when those connections are made, that's where the learning happens and it sticks. They have to make the connection between the sound and the symbol. So, Sydney, you're talking about really capitalizing on the fact that most students are familiar with sounds through speech. So going from what Louisa Motes calls in her famous book, Speech to Print. So really capitalizing on the fact that students are coming to school for the most part, with language as speakers, and so to capitalize on that. And We know from this robust research in science of reading that students don't memorize words by sight. That is not how students come to reading. They process words sound by sound. And we have an option as reading teachers. We can go from the print to the sound, so showing them the B and saying that it says B or focusing on the sound and bringing it to the print. So talk to me about what that looks like in your classrooms. Um, This idea of speech to print versus print to speech. Is it one or the other? Is it both? What does that look like? I think we need both. Um, We need we need students to be familiar with the sound first, and that can happen through some phonemic awareness work. Um, and then identifying words that contain the sound and then connecting it to the letter. So it it really, it needs to start with the sound, but symbol connection is really important also. I was just going to agree with you. I was going to say we need both. We absolutely need both. And it's so fun to see um, them 
making those connections once they have <clears throat> their b and they can make the connection to the b to the b and really working with them to as they're forming those letters to say okay b ah, <laughs> you know working with them so that they're internalizing the the sound the letter and making it making those neural connections for them Absolutely. Um, I had the opportunity to listen to, um, I was at a conference yesterday and one of the presenters talked about um, when we are learning to read, she said that reading and encoding practice, um, she called it, she said, they're king, they're king practices. We have to have this. You can't, um, can't really do one effectively without the other because they support one another in making those neural pathways. And we know that um, the orthographic memory in the brain is where um, we turn all that instruction into long-term memory for that automatic retrieval. And so orthographic mapping takes place through decoding and encoding. So both have to take place. It can't just be, you know, symbol to print or um, print to speech, it has to work both ways. So the simultaneous practice of both. So I'm hearing you all say that it's not one or the other, that we want to definitely capitalize on the practice of moving from speech to print, but that we're also going to incorporate, of course, print to speech, starting at the symbol, showing students the symbol and having them generate the sound for that symbol. There's a there's a body of um, knowledge or some people that believe that going from speech to print is more equitable. So having students coming into school, maybe it's their first formal foray into formal schooling, um, coming into school, they have speech coming into kindergarten. And so when we start in kindergarten with introducing graphemes, introducing letter names and the printed symbols first, that this is a confusing place to start. For example, um, the letter B doesn't say B. The letter L doesn't say the sound L. And so proponents of speech to print really feel that it's much more equitable and conducive to students' learning to go ahead and really emphasize the speech to print for those early learners first. What are your thoughts on that? I, I think it's really important that we have them do the sounds. So for example, bat. So they would like draw three lines, bat, and they're working with the sounds. And then we connect what letter makes that sound for them. Um, or, you know, if, if it's something that they've already learned. But it, it is so important that they're just focusing on the sounds because that's something they have. So we want it to stick. Like Sydney was saying, we want it to stick. And we've got to give it some place to stick to. I think um, with the, the real excitement over sound walls, um, moving away from word walls of the past and sound walls, um, I think 
in the understanding of how um, like speech sounds work and how we need to teach phonics through um, what's happening with our mouth, articulation, um, that's where we can really capitalize on. If I'm going from speech to print, I can teach the these vowel sounds, especially for our English language learners where vowels are very difficult. Um, but I can teach those sounds and then connect it to speech. And it it's more meaningful than um, necessarily the rule-based um, print-to-speech approach. So I really, and just going back to it, I, I do feel like there really is a place for both. Um, and it's just kind of the understanding that different students need different approaches. So if we can connect both of these, because they are both, you know, research-based and, and highly vital and important, um, we need to do that. But capitalizing on speech, because that is what we talk about what are students bringing to the classroom with them? You know, if they don't have understanding of symbols, they don't know um, alphabetic code or even English maybe in general, what they are bringing is, is sound. So that's where we can capitalize. And that's where the equity comes in for these students who have not been exposed to print. Uh, Sydney, thank you so much for bringing up the, the sound walls. Um, as I reflect on the kind of the transition I've been trying to make even within my own classroom the past few years. Um, I, I personally do feel like there's a lot more power that has come in my instruction when we are, we're not just looking at a letter and, and, and saying the sound, but we are, we're giving them more. We're showing them more explicitly, like, this is what our mouth does when we say this sound. This sound is voiced. This sound is unvoiced. And it's been amazing to see um, the transformation. Even just this last um, week in school, we've been learning about the different sounds of ED. And I've been able to take the the knowledge with sounds to help them know, like, if it's a a voiced sound at the end of the base word. We're going to say D. If it's an unvoiced sound, we're going to say T. And it's so cool to see how those kids can listen for those things to then apply their their writing skills. I love too, you're tying in that ED spelling. So I think there is such a role in that the orthographic mapping and really so let's, we're learning to write. We're learning to spell along with learning to read. I, I like um, what Shadi had written where dictation is similar to a decodable text. So we're, we're working to make it stick on what they already have. So if we, you know, we take what they know and we build on that and we help them as, you know, like you said, with the ED ending, or if they're learning, open and closed syllables and they know if nothing's going to stop that vowel, it's going to say its name, like go and no. And, you know, so we're, we're building on what they have and it's just so powerful. I don't know if that made any sense because what was in my head, out of my mouth may have been too different. Well, Lisa, I think it's a perfect transition because I really did want to dive into dictation. I think as reading teachers, 
uh, who use science of reading, who are familiar with the body of research around science of reading, we all have dictation as part of our teaching practice. And I don't even have to ask you. I know you do dictation, period. Um, but I think I can assume that among this group, and I can assume that we can talk about what dictation is among this group, and we probably have a very common definition, probably the exact same definition. But I don't know that dictation has made itself into the wide world of teaching practice. What? So what is dictation um, versus a spelling test? What? What is a dictation? Dictation is very very different than a spelling test. You know, we used to give students lists of words and have them memorize those words. And then they'd do the test on Friday and they'd lose it by Monday. You know, it wasn't sticking or building anything. We're taking what they know and we're allowing them to map, you know, and apply what they know. And, And it's so exciting because they know that, okay, I know ah, so what can I put with ah? And so at, at, you know, and it opens it up. So when they see it in a text, you know, they know how to decode it, but they also know how to write it. And when they can write, they can, they can express so much more of their world. Um, Opportunities to incorporate dictation. I always go back to that understanding of how, I mean, the purpose of phonemic awareness and purpose of phonics is that um, students can learn how to decode, right? We want them to decode, but then we want them to decode fluently. So how we get them there is through decoding practice and encoding practice. So dictation supports the encoding practice um, through very um, teacher-guided um, kind of system where you say a word aloud and then there's scaffolds there, right? You can ask them to segment, they can practice segmenting, they can draw boxes, they can draw lines to represent each speech sound. Um, And then students can connect after the speech sound segmentation, they can connect letters there. Um, And then what it can look like in a class is if it's happening whole class, then teacher can be circling the room and providing instant error correction and feedback. So it's a very guided and interactive process, um, but it is very, very powerful to help them connect the sounds to letters um, to help that, just that orthographic mapping, to move it from short-term memory. Like Lisa was saying, we're going to have instruction. You're going to take the test on Friday, and then it will be completely lost by Monday. We don't want them to memorize. We want them to learn how to map the letters to the sounds. um, And that's what dictation allows them to do. I think one of the the differences that comes to mind when I think when we say spelling and your traditional spelling test and dictation as well is that um, oftentimes when, um, I mean, I'm a teacher that has come from this where where I did have my Friday spelling test, but there wasn't that retention. Um, whereas with dictation, I'm I'm building on the skills that we have already learned as well. We're not focusing on one skill a week. Even if there is a focus skill being taught, we are still including everything that has been taught before then. Um, 
which I think makes it even more solid. It's um, as you go through the progression of phonics, you don't want them to to know these skills in isolation. You want them to connect and build on one another. Well, it's communication. It. Um, I think of my own instruction just this week. We are working on the long a sound within the word and at the end of the word. So we had, you know, AI makes a long A sound within a word. AY makes a long A sound at the end of a word and helping students apply that. So if I have the word rain, how, you know, what are my possibilities for making that long A within the word rain? And so we know, okay, we I can have A consonant E or I can have AI, you know, and usually when it's within the word, it's going to be AI. And so we're mapping those sounds. We're doing er, a, n, making three lines. What makes our er? What makes our n? And then let's let's figure this out. You know, well, we've been learning AI. We'll make that long A sound within a word. And then I can apply that. If I know rain, I know brain and grain and stick. Yeah. You know, making it stick. So exciting. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. No. Oh. Go ahead. I was. I just want to pick up on what you said. That idea of let's figure it out, or you can figure it out. Dictation is empowering in a way that a spelling test is not. A spelling test, in a traditional sense, the words, you know, whether it's 10, 15, 20 words, are they connected to each other? Do we know the connection between these words? It, it, it hard to say, really. But a dictation, I'm not giving you the words in advance. I know you guys are not giving the words in advance. This is not a go home study with your parents. They're testing you. Gone are those days, I hope. Um, dictation is I can come up with any word as a teacher that follows the phonetic patterns that you have learned as a student, and you may have never seen the word crate before. Cool. Guess what? You can figure it out because we've been working on silent E. And so you're going to hear the word crate and you're going to segment it. And you're going to write the sounds that go with it. How empowering for students. There's no magic to it. You didn't have to memorize it. We are connecting the sounds that you're hearing to the symbols that you're putting on your paper. I love that word empowering. I, I That's so, <laughs> like, we want them to be empowered. We want them to have this pride of ownership of the language. I love that. One thing I'm reminded of with this too is there's so much fun to be had with dictation. Um, like one of my favorite things to do, honestly, um, with kids is word ladders because I'm working on so many different things when I'm doing that. I give them a word to start with, but we're still having to um, use phonemic awareness to figure out what are those sounds in the word and segment and then write them. And then I'm going to manipulate a sound by changing something. But it goes back to the print aspect where I have to write the correct um, grapheme and you keep going and going. And then one of my favorite things to do in the end is we go through and we climb up our ladder as we read it. And I think just combining all of those skills um, helps the kids feel more confident because not only are they figuring out that word, but they can see that if I know this word and I make this one change, I know another word and another rather than 
getting to the end of the week where I'm like, cool, I memorized 10 words and I got 100% on my test. They can learn a pattern and apply it and, yeah. and come out knowing 10 times more words. Right. I love word ladders too, Heather, because as they're writing, right, they're writing. And then at the end, like you said, then they go through and read it. But through that writing process, they've mapped these sounds into these words. And then they're writing, they can, you notice, usually that they can read these words more fluently rather than just reading them first. It's such a powerful process. That is so true. And I think it's like we're through dictation applying so many tenets of science of reading without the students even really knowing it. So within a dictation, I'm saying a word, the students are repeating back the word. The students are segmenting the word. We've got some phonemic awareness there. The students are then writing the word as they name each letter, and then they're repeating the word back. We've got strategies to build reading fluency because you're you're having multiple touches with the word. Because of those multiple touches, we're building automaticity. We're working on handwriting. And of course, there's no such thing as a dictation without incorporating some sentences. So we're con- we're bringing in some conventions of writing. We are doing so much in dictation that aligns with the research. And I hear you all reiterating um, those things as you describe your practice. Well, and Shadi, you're touching on different types of learners when you're doing that too. You know, you've got your auditory learners, your um, kinesthetic learners, you, you're touching on all those different modalities as you're doing dictation. I love how you explain that so well. We just acknowledge also that this is like the ways that this has been described too is it's fun. It's mm-hmm. not it's not just a drill that I'm going to say a sound, please write it down. Here's the next sound. Like there are so many different ways that this can be done. Um, Like Lisa mentioned, like when you've got the kinesthetic learners, like writing in sand, like what's Uh about that or shaving cream, like the kids do enjoy this. Well, and I think in addition to those awesome multi, you can write it in shaving cream, you can write it in sand. I love those multi-sensory components that you can bring in. But I honestly think, and I, I work with a lot of older students, one of the things that makes dictation fun is like, dang, I didn't know I could spell the word transformation. I just spelled the word transformation. I just spelled the word conversation. I just spelled the word inconsistency because I'm using the morphology. I'm breaking the words up into syllables. I use dictation with when I've taught high school. I use it with high schoolers. And part of the fun is success. Success is fun, you guys. Success feels really good. So I don't have to do a horse and pony show. It's not like a fancy light show and slides and all the things. It's old school dictation, but it's successful. And that is really fun. But Sydney, you were about to say something. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> I was actually going to talk about how multisensory it is and how yeah. that's where the fun comes in. It's not, they're not just sitting and listening. It's they're listening, they're speaking, they're moving, mm-hmm. they're writing, and then they're reading. It's, it's just such an experience for them that is is very important to their learning um but they enjoy it so much hey i think you you've hit on so many great things the power that it gives the kids the ownership the 
ability, the multi-sensory, you're giving them success. Like you said, Shadi, like that is fun. Success is really fun. And knowing that they can tackle any word once they've got these sounds is very powerful. It's a great tool for students. Yeah. And the thing about dictation is it can happen so quickly. It's not a huge chunk of your literacy block. It's something that can come after a little bit of instruction and a little bit of practice. We have to include spelling instruction, not the memorization, but the the cementing of actually what's happening with the sound symbol and how the code works. And just kind of piggyback on these, but um, once they're feeling that success too, they're they're motivated. They want to learn more and do more, and and like it's it's almost like this this craving of well, I've accomplished this. What can I do next? And it's amazing too. So, like, say we were um, learning about long a, um, and like you were saying, Shadi, you can you can start dictating words. Okay, now you've gotten to this point within a few minutes where you're successful with a couple of these words. Let's add some suffixes or let's do a two syllable word because we can do it. You know, it really is a very empowering process to them. It it builds their confidence. Uh, We are all huge proponents of dictation. I can I can tell that. And I don't think any of us could imagine having a teaching practice without incorporating dictation um, at least once a week. I have dictation um, typically two to three times a week, but I know that all of you are probably incorporating it at least once a week. And like Sydney said, it doesn't have to be this huge to-do, like we need to devote an entire block to it, but it can just be a component of the block and making sure that we're capitalizing on going from speech to print and the research that supports that to help our readers develop. My kids actually beg for it. We do. Um, <laughs> so they have a white crayon and oh. word pattern and I'll give them words with the word pattern and they write it with their right white crayon. And then um, there I give them these special markers and they go over it and then they're reading it and, you know, whoa, it's so exciting. And so they beg for dictation. It's so it's such a fun part of what we do every week. And I would suggest if you have a spelling list and that's what guides your phonics instruction, those are part of your word list, but we need to add other words also. So we are really teaching them how to transfer it to writing. Um, All you need are word word lists, and then you can incorporate dictation so quickly and so easily into your day. That's great, you guys. Thank you so much for joining today on this Super interesting topic, exploring speech to print, print to speech, and the power of dictation to help our readers develop at any grade level, at any age. Um, If you want to um, share your thoughts on this topic, please reach out to us on our social media channels and stay tuned for more episodes of Teacher Voices. Thanks, everyone. That's all the time we have for today. Many thanks to all of our guests for joining us. Be sure to subscribe to the Fresh Ideas for Teaching podcast. Until next time. 
The Science of Reading in Action podcast series is presented by Savvis Learning Company, a next-generation learning company providing award-winning solutions for grades pre-K through 12. To learn more, visit savvis.com forward slash science of reading. And you can keep the conversation going by following us on social media at Savvis Learning.